Welcome to this week's episode of the North Bible Church Podcast. Now, let's join our pastor as we open God's Word together. See all of you here. Let's give it up for the band one more time. Give them applause. I don't know if any of them are left in here, but they can hear us. Third service still going strong. I think you guys are ready for three more services, right? The band, yeah? Yeah, yeah. It's easy for us to say, right? But great to see you guys here tonight. Merry Christmas to all of you again. Um, I, you know, it still feels a little weird to be saying Merry Christmas given all that we've been through this year. I think and one of the things we realize is that even if, as we're going through this, this time of year, that this has been a difficult year. And Christmas this year is different than it has been probably at any time during our lives. And we're constantly remem- reminded of how different it is. I mean, you step outside, right, and everybody's wearing masks. You, something like this, where we gather together. We've got to space out the chairs so that we can meet here uh, and, and celebrate Christmas together. Um, you know, when we face things that are outside and, and, we're, and we're shopping and we're doing all these other things, we're constantly reminded over and over again that this year is different than other years have been. Um, one of the, I mentioned this a few weeks ago, but one of the things that's a constant reminder for me personally is this house that has been decorated along a street that I take to get home every day. And this street, uh, on, this, on this house, like they have this wrought iron fence where they spell out certain messages during Christmas in lights along the wrought iron fence. And this fence is really long. It projects onto a, a large busy street, and so you see it as you drive by every single day, and it's a constant reminder. I mentioned this a few weeks ago, but like last year they, they wrote out Merry Christmas in lights, and like peace, and love, and all these other things. And this year they wrote out something completely different. They wrote out Bah Humbug COVID. And I went and I got a picture of this, because I, I wanted you guys to see this, because I know I mentioned it a few weeks ago, but you had to see this to really believe it. Check it out. This is a picture I got. Now, to keep this, keep this in mind, this is like 20 to 30 feet long along a fence. It's huge, and as you drive by it, you can't miss it. It's a constant reminder that things are different this year, and that as merry and as cheerful as maybe we want to feel, there's always that feeling to this year that things are just so different. So maybe you're full of Christmas cheer tonight, and you're merry, and you're excited about Christmas, and that's awesome. If that's you, I am so excited for you. So let me say that. But maybe tonight you feel a little bit more like this, these, this light display. A little bit of bah humbug COVID. Maybe you're a little scroogey tonight. And I want to tell you also that that's okay. Because not only, of course, have we experienced such a difficult year, but maybe you're going through a difficult time personally in your life. Maybe it's related to your finances or to your employment. Maybe you got a health diagnosis this year that shocked and rocked your world. Maybe somebody you love and somebody you're close to got a health diagnosis or a medical diagnosis that has shocked and rocked your world. Maybe you lost somebody this year, and this is the first Christmas, somebody you love, and this is the first Christmas that you're spending without that person that you love. The reality to all of this is that as we celebrate Christmas during this season, the hidden secret to all of this is that there are two seasons that we celebrate during this time. Did you know that? First of all, we celebrate what is known as Advent. Advent starts on the fourth Sunday before Christmas Day, or on our American calendars, what is the Sunday after Thanksgiving. And so, being Christmas Eve as it is, we are actually still in the Advent season. It's the last night of Advent. And here's the thing about Advent, is that the season of Advent is actually a season of waiting. It's a season specifically of waiting for God to act in a world that is often dark, difficult, and depressing. In fact, this season 
is meant in many ways to mirror and to remind us of what the world looked like before Jesus arrived on, Christ, on what we celebrate as Christmas Day. And then that leads us to the other season. The next season is actually the Christmas season, and it begins with Christmas Day. Do you guys know that and typically when we celebrate Christmas, right, we celebrate Christmas until when? When is Christmas typically over? Once we've opened all of our presents, right? Or if you have, like, if you have, like, maybe Christmas dinner at your house, which our family does, it's once Christmas dinner is done, the Christmas turkey and the Christmas ham are eaten, then we put all the dishes away, and Christmas is officially basically over at our house. Well, in reality, Christmas was meant to be celebrated for an entire season beginning with Christmas Day. You guys know the song, The Twelve Days of Christmas, right? We've all heard that song. You know that The Twelve Days of Christmas was not, we, we typically think about it as the, the, the song that leads up to Christmas Day. When in reality, the 12 days of Christmas was designed to remind us of these 12 days that we celebrate from Christmas until January 5th, which we know as Epiphany. Epiphany is the day that marks out when the Magi came to the Christ child and presented gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And during that entire Christmas season, it's a 12-day season that we're supposed to be celebrating Christmas. And so Christmas is not a one-day celebration, it's a 12-day celebration. How wonderful that. I think we need to bring that back, right? Instead of, instead of just having one day of Christmas, wouldn't it be amazing if we had 12 days of Christmas? The kids in the first services were really excited about that. But here's the thing is that the reality of this is that as Advent gives way to Christmas, it is a season of waiting and anticipation and then a time of celebration. And here's the point of all this discussion is that the celebration of Christmas is not all about manufactured cheer. It's not about trying to be as cheery and as merry as you can all the time. It's not about trying to be Buddy the Elf with everything that you're doing and everything that you're saying and making everything into a Christmas song. It's about actually the reality that sometimes life is difficult, sometimes it's full of struggle and even suffering sometimes, that we will face uncertainty in this life. And this is all about the waiting in the midst of the difficulty, which I think we've seen in many ways this year become a reality. And so as we celebrate Christmas this year, we're in the last night of Advent. We're in this place where we are thinking about on the cusp of what it means for the hope of Christmas to come and for the love of Christmas to be present. And today we get to talk about the best thing about Christmas. And it's how Christmas shows us completely and fully the love of God. And I believe there's no better example of the manifest love of God than what we celebrate at Christmas. The fact that God has come to us in the person of Jesus. You know, during our Advent season, we've talked about all these wonderful themes like faith and peace and hope and joy. And as wonderful as those things are, the best of all of them is what we celebrate tonight and what we mark out tonight. Love. 1 Corinthians 13, 13 says this, So now faith, hope, and love abide, these three, but the greatest of these is love. You catch that? The greatest thing is love. It's the most important thing of them all. In fact, love is so central to who God is that in 1 John chapter 4, God actually tells us that he is love. 1 John 4, 8 says this, God is love. Maybe you've heard that statement before. Maybe you've seen that statement before. It's one of the shortest statements in the Bible, and I believe it's one of the most profound that when we really understand what that statement means, that it changes everything. 
It changes our lives. And I know we talk a lot about life-changing things, especially at church, but I believe there's nothing more life-changing than knowing what it means for God to be love. So let's unpack that statement for a minute. First, this statement means exactly what it says. God is love. What God is telling us about himself in his word is that he is actually, it's, it's, it's like God introducing himself by saying, I am love. Think about how profound that is for a minute. That the Bible's not telling us that love is primarily an idea or a feeling or a concept, but that love is a person. And that that person isn't just any person, it is actually the creator God who has created us and who is God of the universe. Notice why that's important, secondly. It's not just saying that God is loving or that God loves, but that God is love. In other words, that love is in God's character. It's in his nature. So that everything that God does towards those whom he loves, what he says and what he does, is out of love. Now, I have this water bottle up here with me tonight. And if I were to unscrew the lid on top of this water bottle and pour out the contents of this bottle, what would fall out onto the stage? Water, right? Water, exactly. It wouldn't magically turn into Gatorade or lemonade or juice or anything like that. It just is water. And in the same way, God's character and nature, what he does, overflows out of his character and nature. And so when we say that God is love, what we understand is that everything that overflows in what God does and what God says comes from the nature and the character of love. And third, when we say that God is love or when the Bible says that God is love, it means that if we are asking the question of what love is, which I think every person has probably asked since the beginning of human history, what we're being told here is that to understand love, we have to know God. There are all kinds of, there are a thousand different ways that our world understands what love or tries to understand what love is. But what scripture tells us here is that if we are to understand what love is, we need to know God because that's where we find our understanding of what true love is all about. In 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 through 12, which is the context of this statement, God is love, I want to read this for you. And I want you to see how many times the word love is used in this passage to get us to a place to help us understand how central, how important love is to the very nature of God. 1 John 4, 7 says this, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that he sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought to also love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. Now talk about a love overload. Did you count how many times the word love or the derivative of love is used in that passage? In fact, I, I don't know this for a fact. I've not read every piece of literature, but I would venture to say that, uh, that, that, that this is the most, that love is po most powerfully used in such a small amount of literature in anywhere in, in, in human literature that we could find it. That love is used so powerfully and overwhelmingly in this short passage. And it's meant to overwhelm us. This is God's word to us. And I think what, what we're meant to take from this is that God is overwhelming us with this picture of how important 
and how essential to his nature love really is. And look, right in the middle of this in verse 9, we get the key to what Christmas is all about. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, which means that the love of God appeared to us. This is how we understand the love of God. So we see the love of God. That next statement right there, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. Look at that. That's what we celebrate at Christmas. That God has sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. So what does this mean for us? What difference does this make in our own lives? Well, for one thing, we realize that love is more than a mere sentiment or emotion or desire. As great as those things may be, it's good news that love is not limited to those things because an emotion or desire cannot love you. We need a person to do that. What we realize is that not only does a person love us, but the very person of God who is Jesus loves us in this way. And we see at Christmas a few things about his love. First of all, that love sees. Have you ever wondered if God actually sees what's going on in your life? I think no matter how much faith we have, there are times where we might ask God, God, do you see what's going on right now? Do you see what I'm going through? Do you see what I'm experiencing? Maybe this year we've asked God, God, do you see what's going on down here? I mean, not only do you see it, but what are you going to do about it? What's going to happen as a result? We've all had those questions at some point this year. And what Christmas reminds us of is that God sees. Is that God sees your struggles, your heartaches, your fears, your failures. And he doesn't just see them from a distance, but that he comes into the brokenness of it all and experiences it himself. That he understands, that he sympathizes, and that he even empathizes with what we struggle with. Now, no matter how close someone is to you in your life, there is no one in this world who has seen every tear you cried, who has heard every unkind and, and unkind word and every inju- injustice you've experienced, every loss, every disappointment, every frustration, every difficulty that you have faced. Nobody can fully understand that, no matter how close they are in this world. But what we see is that because of Jesus coming to earth during Christmas, that he understands it all. He empathizes. Hebrews chapter 4, verses 15, verse 15 says this, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who is tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. So whatever experience you may face, No matter how heart-wrenching, how difficult it may be, we can never say that there is no one who understands what we are going through. Because Jesus does. And that's what Christmas shows us. So love sees, secondly, love chooses. You know, it's a great thing that God empathizes with us. It's a great thing that God sees us. It's a great thing that God knows what we experience. But empathy, you may know, is not necessarily enough to be fully loved. Because we can empathize with somebody that we don't even know. You can, see an, uh, you can see a news story online, or you can hear a news story on, on TV, and you can empathize with somebody that you don't even know if they've gone through a similar situation that you've gone through. That doesn't mean that you necessarily love that person. Love looks like action in the Bible. The kind of love that we see in the Bible is based upon something that happens, an initiative that takes place. And what we see here is that this is the beginning of action that God chooses 
to love us. And he chooses to act in our world. He doesn't just merely empathize, but he, it moves him as he chooses to love. Now, in a couple of weeks, we're going to go through our one word, we're going to go into our one word service on January 3rd. And if you've been with us during our one word service, what we essentially do is we pick a word for the year that we feel like God has laid on our hearts. And we talk about that and we talk about, you know, what God did this previous year with the one word, whatever it may be. But we spend some time thinking about what is it that God, we feel like God has put on our lives. And it's, it's kind of in lieu of making a New Year's resolution. It's a one word that we're focusing on throughout the year. And uh, this past year, the word for 2020 for me was love. And I remember when I settled on that word and when I felt like God was leading me to pick that word, at the time I thought to myself, well, this is going to be an easy one. I mean, some of the other people on our staff are like forgiveness and patience. I'm like, man, you guys got to, I just got love. love. Love's easy, right? I've been a Christian for 22 years. I know what it means to love God and love people. It's central to what it means to be a Christian. I'm a pastor. I mean, loving people is essentially in my job description. But one thing I didn't realize that God realized is that 2020 was going to be really tough to love people. And I got to say, it was tough this year to love people. And I know that sounds bad. But I'm just being honest. And it's not necessarily because of anything else other than the fact that it's been so mentally and emotionally exhausting this year that it wasn't in my natural response to just try to love people in the way that I was used to. And I think one big thing that God taught me this year is that love chooses. Love acts even when, even when you don't feel like mentally or emotionally doing it. Even when it causes and brings on difficulties. Which brings us to our next point. Love loves. And this might seem a little bit redundant. Of course, love loves. What exactly does that mean? Well, love loves means that love acts. That love acts on the behalf of the person who is being loved. And so, many times, that may actually cost the person who is doing the loving something in order to love that person. When we look at Christmas, what we realize is that Christmas is an act of God's love that is based upon sacrifice. That Jesus gave up something. In fact, Jesus gave up a lot so that he could sacrifice in order to love us. Love is about a choice, and love involves action. I'm going to show you, I brought a quick video with me here tonight to show you a little bit of what this looks like by example. Um, I want to preview the video just quickly, although it kind of explains itself. But this video profiles uh, a few kids that are in um, inner city Atlanta and they're at the boys and girls club there and in this video they're presenting these children with a choice during Christmas time now one thing you need to remember and it says it in the video but one thing you need to remember is that the kids who are in this video most of them are kids who are so far below the poverty line that they can't even afford a Christmas tree for their home much less any gifts for Christmas and so the choice that they're given here in this video is pretty profound. Now, I would say one thing, if you've got your tissues near to you, make sure you get your tissues out and ready to go. Let's take a look. Obviously, a video put together by UpTV, and they were asking the question, essentially, what does it look like for us to choose? And I think one of the things we saw is that as these kids made their choice, and as they realized how much they loved their parents and how much they wanted to give the gift to their parents, there was only one choice in the end. And that was to take the gift and to give it to their parents, even if it costs them the only Christmas gift that they might get during that year. It's a beautiful picture of what love looks like when love chooses the well-being of another, the one who is being loved, 
at, at, at sacrifice and even in the midst of sacrifice. Which brings us to our last point, love saves. You know, when you put all this together, when you get a God who loves us in a way that he understands and he sees us and he empathizes with us and he knows us and he knows what, he, what we really need and he moves to sacrifice on our behalf, what we get is a picture of Christmas that is not just about a baby in a manger. It's about a Savior who has come into the world. And when we talk about the manger of Jesus, one thing that Christmas shows us is that the manger of Jesus and the cross of Jesus go together. They're inseparable. That when Jesus came to this earth, when Jesus came to this world, he came as a Savior to save us. And that this story that we celebrate is as real as anything that we'll ever experience. Even, when, even though it happened 2,000 years ago, even though it happened in a place in, a, in the world that probably none of us will ever, or few of us will ever visit, at the same time, this story is real because it has redemptive power in it. You know, earlier this week, you may have seen the, the picture of Saturn and Jupiter. Apparently, Saturn, Jupiter, and the Earth aligned for the first time in 800 years in this way. In such a way that you could be standing on the Earth, I think it was on December 21st, that night, and you could see, um, not necessarily this picture, but you could see Jupiter and Saturn with the naked eye standing on the Earth for the first time in 800 years like this. With a telescope, which is what this is taken by, you can see actually the detail of Jupiter, you can see four moons around Jupiter, and you can see the rings and the detail around Saturn as well. Which is an amazing thing. I don't know about you, but I'm, really, I'm a big fan of planets and stars. I love those things. But at the same time, like I, the only pictures and videos I've seen of Saturn and Jupiter have been from a spaceship or they've been some CGI computer rendering on a video. Something changes, though, when you actually are able to see with your own eyes, with your own feet on the ground on your own planet, those two things and the fact that they actually exist. <laughs> I don't know, there was something, I mean, I always knew Jupiter and Saturn existed, but until you see it with your own eyes, maybe, you know, you're not really sure exactly what they look like. And to see it this way was an amazing thing, I think, for so many people. And that's why if you saw that and it was like Twitter trending or whatever, it was for that reason. The reality is that Christmas itself is not something that's distant. It's not something that's a myth. It's something that is made to be experienced and lived out. That when it intersects with our lives and with human history, it changes everything. Corey Ten Boom said this, If Jesus were born 1,000 times in Bethlehem, yet was not born in me, then I would still be lost. The point of the story of Christmas is that we respond to God in love. God has loved us. He has shown us how to love Him. He has sought us out. He sees us. He comes to us, and he saves us and redeems us. It's our response, then, to this invitation of God's love to return that love in the same way, to trust that God has truly loved us in this way, that he hasn't come just to empathize with the brokenness of this world and to empathize with the sin that is in our world and in our lives, but he's come to redeem it. He's come to do something about it. And because that's true, we have hope this Christmas, and every Christmas. And as we close, I want to read Jesus' invitation from John chapter 6. These are Jesus' own words inviting us 
to follow him and to respond. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that, I have, that you have seen me and yet do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I will raise him up on that last day. You know, this invitation really speaks to us on two levels. For those of us who know Jesus and who follow Jesus in our lives, it's an invitation to continue to follow him more closely. That, that phrase, bread of heaven, is a picture of daily sustenance. All of us eat bread every single day, and this is Jesus' invitation to say, those of you who are following me, come, continue to follow me. But it's also, and more deliberately, an invitation to those who don't know Jesus and who aren't following Jesus. It's an invitation to say that Jesus has shown up and he invites us to come into relationship with him, to trust him as our Lord and Savior, as the one who has redeemed us from our sin, who has not just looked from afar and who has not just come to empathize, but has come to save us and to redeem us and to make a way back so that we can be reconciled, that we can be forgiven, and that we can have what Jesus says here in verse 40 is eternal life, that we would be raised up with him on the last day. You know, this Christmas is different. It's a different Christmas. But this Christmas doesn't have to be defined by being a COVID Christmas or the Christmas of 2020. In fact, this Christmas could be the most memorable Christmas of your life because it could be the time where you began to follow Jesus for the first time. That invitation goes out to you as it did 2,000 years ago when Jesus first spoke it. It's the invitation to salvation. It's the invitation to eternal life. And because God has loved us in this way, he has made it available for us. Will you pray with me? Lord, we thank you for the beauty of what Christmas is. And we know that although there are all kinds of festivities and things that surround this time of year and this season, ultimately, what makes Christmas so meaningful, what makes Christmas so special, is knowing that you loved us enough to come here and to be with us. To take on human flesh and become the God who is with us, Emmanuel. And Lord, not only did you come to be with us, but you came to redeem us and you came to make a way back for us. That your love is so wonderfully displayed in the cross of Jesus. So that we know that we have, we have been provided a way of grace and mercy, given a way of forgiveness so that we could be reconciled with you and have eternal life. And tonight I pray for anyone who is in that place where there's a barrier between themselves and you, whether that barrier is sin, whether it's pride, whether it's fear, whatever it may be, Lord, that you would make a way in their hearts to return to you, to be reconciled to you. But we know that one of the things about your love is that it is powerful that it transforms our lives not only in the present but for eternity. That is the promise that you've given us at Christmas. 
And I pray that no matter where we're at in our walk with you, that that would resonate deeply in our hearts and be what ultimately causes us to celebrate with great joy even in the midst of such a difficult year. Your love never fails, it never ends, and it is always present. Christmas assures us of that. And so we pray all these things in your faithful name, Lord Jesus. Amen. In just a moment, we'll rejoin our pastor for today's closing thoughts. But first, we wanted to thank you for tuning in. North Bible Church is located in Scottsdale, Arizona, and exists to equip all generations to love God, love one another, and love the world. For more information about North, please visit our website at northbiblechurch.com. Now, some closing thoughts from our pastor. I always like to take a quick moment at this point in the service during a candlelight service, just look around the room and be able to be reminded that the light has come into the darkness. That no matter what we face, the light and the hope of Jesus Christ has come into this world. And that's what we celebrate at Christmas. And as we hold these lights, it represents the fact that the light of the world has come into many of our lives and our hearts. And so may you be grateful and thankful for that as you celebrate Christmas with your family, with your friends, at home, on your own, whatever it may be. Over the next couple days, may you be reminded of the light and the true hope of Christmas. So let me say it one last time. Merry Christmas to all of you. Thank you again for joining us, and have a great night. Thank you for joining us for this week's message. North Bible Church is located in Scottsdale, Arizona, and exists to equip all generations to love God, love one another, and love the world. For more information about North, please visit our website at northbiblechurch.com.